0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. This is an excerpt from Idols of the King by Alfred Lord Tennyson, entitled Merlin and Vivian. A storm was coming. But the winds were still, and in the wild woods of Broceliande, before an oak so hollow, huge, and old, it looked a tower of ivied mason work. At Merlin's feet, the wily Vivian lay. For he that always bare and bitter grudged the slights of Arthur and his table, Mark, the Cornish king, had heard a wandering voice, a minstrel of Carleon, by strong storm blown into shelter at Tintagel. Say that out of naked night-like purity Sir Lancelot worshipped no unmarried girl but the great Queen herself, fought in her name, swear by her, vows like theirs, that high in heaven love most, but neither marry, nor are given in marriage, angels of our Lord's report. He ceased, and then, for Vivian sweetly said, she sat beside the banquet nearest mark, and is the fair example followed, sir, in Arthur's household? Answered innocently. Ay, by some few, ay, truly. Use that hold it more beseems the perfect virgin knight to worship woman as true wife beyond all hopes of gaining, than as maiden girl. They place their pride in Lancelot and the queen. So passionate for utter purity beyond the limit of their bond are these. For Arthur bound them not to singleness. Brave hearts, and clean, and yet God guide them young. Then Mark was half in heart to hurl his cup straight at the speaker, but forbore. He rose to leave the hall, and, Vivian following him, turned to her. Here are snakes within the grass, and you methinks, O Vivian, save ye fear the monkish manhood, AND THE MASK OF PURE WORN BY THIS COURT, CAN STIR THEM TILL THEY STING. AND VIVIAN ANSWERED, SMILING SCORNFULLY, WHY FEAR, BECAUSE THAT FOSTERED AT THY COURT I SAVOR OF THY VIRTUES? FEAR THEM? NO. AS LOVE, IF LOVE IS PERFECT, CAST OUT FEAR, SO HATE, IF HATE IS PERFECT, CAST OUT FEAR. My father died in battle against the king, my mother on his corpse in open field. She bore me there, for born from death was I, among the dead and sown upon the wind, and then on thee, and shown the truth betimes, that old true filth, and bottom of the well where truth is hidden, gracious lessons thine and maxims of the mud. This Arthur pure, Great nature through the flesh herself hath made gives him the lie. There is no being pure, my cherub. Saith not holy writ the same? If I were Arthur, I would have thy blood. Thy blessing, stainless king, I bring thee back, when I have ferreted out their burrowings, the hearts of all this order in mine hand. Ay, so that fate and craft and folly close, perchance one curl of Arthur's golden beard. To me this narrow grizzled fork of thine is cleaner fashioned. Well, I love thee first. That warps the wit." Loud laughed the graceless Mark. But Vivian, into Camelot stealing, lodged low in the city, and on a festal day when Guinevere was crossing the great hall, cast herself down, knelt to the Queen, and wailed. Why kneel ye there? What evil hath ye wrought? Rise! And the damsel bidden rise, arose, and stood with folded hands, and downward eyes of glancing corner, and all meekly said, None wrought, but suffered much, an orphan maid. My father died in battle for thy king, my mother on his corpse, in open field, the sad, sea-sounding wastes of Lyoness. Poor wretch! No friend! AND NOW BY MARK THE KING, FOR THAT SMALL CHARM OF FEATURE MINE, PURSUED. IF ANY SUCH BE MINE, I FLY TO THEE. SAVE, SAVE ME THOU, WOMAN OF WOMEN, THINE THE WREATH OF BEAUTY, THINE THE CROWN OF POWER. BE THINE THE BALM OF PITY, O HEAVEN'S OWN WHITE EARTH ANGEL, STAINLESS BRIDE OF STAINLESS KING. HELP, FOR HE FOLLOWS. TAKE ME TO THYSELF. Oh, YIELD ME SHELTER FOR MINE INNOCENCY AMONG THY MAIDENS. Here her slow, sweet eyes, fear-tremulous, but humbly hopeful, rose fixed on her hearers, while the Queen, who stood all glittering like May sunshine on May leaves in green and gold, and plumed with green, replied, Peace, child, of over-praise and over-blame we choose the last." Our noble Arthur, him ye scarce can overpraise, will hear and know. Nay, we believe all evil of thy mark. Well, we shall test thee farther. But this hour we ride a-hawking with Sir Lancelot. He hath given us a fair falcon, which he trained. We go to prove it. By ye here the while. She passed, and Vivien murmured after, go i bide the while then through the portal arch peering askance and muttering broken wise as one that labors with an evil dream beheld the queen and lancelot get to horse is that the lancelot goodly ay, but gaunt courteous amends for gauntness takes her hand that glance of theirs but for the street had been a clinging kiss, how hand lingers in hand. Let go at last; they ride away. To hawk for waterfowl, royaler game is mine. For such a super sensual, sensual bond as that gray cricket chirped of at our hearth, touch flax with flame; a glance will serve. The liars! Ah, little rat that borest in the dike thy hole by night, to let the boundless deep down upon far-off cities while they dance, or dream, of thee they dreamed not, nor of me. (laughs) These, I, but each of either, ride and dream the mortal dream that never yet was mine. Ride, ride and dream until ye wake, to me. Then, Narrow court and lubber-king, farewell, for Lancelot will be gracious to the Rat, and our wise Queen, if knowing that I know, will hate, loathe, fear, but honour me the more. Yet while they rode together down the plain, their talk was all of training, terms of art, diet, and sealing, jesses, leash, and lure. "'She is too noble,' he said. TO CHECK IT PIES, NOR WILL SHE RAKE, THERE IS NO BASENESS IN HER." HERE WHEN THE QUEEN DEMANDED AS BY CHANCE, KNOW YE THE STRANGER WOMAN? LET HER BE, SAID LANCELOT, AND UNHOODED CASTING OFF THE GOODLY FALCON FREE, SHE TOWERED, HER BELLS, TONE UNDER TONE, SHRILLED, AND THEY LIFTED UP THEIR EAGER FACES, WONDERING AT THE STRENGTH. Boldness and royal knighthood of the bird who pounced her quarry and slew it. Many a time, as once, of old, among the flowers, they rode. But Vivian, half forgotten of the Queen, among her damsels broidering sat, heard, watched, and whispered. Through the peaceful court she crept and whispered. Then as Arthur in the highest leavened the world— so Vivian and the lowest, arriving at a time of golden rest, and sowing one ill hint from ear to ear, while all the heathen lay at Arthur's feet, and no quest came, but all was joust in play, leavened his hall. They heard, and let her be. Thereafter as an enemy that has left death in the living waters, and withdrawn the wily Vivian stole from Arthur's court. She hated all the knights, and heard in thought their lavish comment when her name was named. For once, when Arthur walking all alone, vexed at a rumour issued from herself of some corruption crept among his knights, had met her, Vivian, being greeted fair, would fain have wrought upon his cloudy mood with reverent eyes mock-loyal, shaken voice, and fluttered adoration, and at last with dark sweet hints of some who prized him more than who should prize him most, at which the King had gazed upon her blankly and gone by. But one had watched, and had not held his peace. It made the laughter of an afternoon that Vivian should attempt the blameless King and after that she set herself to gain him, the most famous man of all those times. Merlin, who knew the range of all their arts, had built the King his havens, ships, and halls, was also bard, and knew the starry heavens. The people called him Wizard, whom at first she played about with slight and sprightly talk, and vivid smiles and faintly-venomed points of slander, glancing here and grazing there, and yielding to his kindlier moods, the seer would watch her at her petulance, and play, even when they seemed unlovable, and laugh as those that watch a kitten. Thus he grew tolerant of what he half disdained, and she, perceiving that she was but half-disdained, began to break her sports with graver fits, turn red or pale, would often when they met sigh fully, or all silent gaze upon him with such a fixed devotion, that the old man, though doubtful, felt the flattery, and at times would flatter his own wish in age for love, and half-believer true. For thus at times he wavered, and that other clung to him, fixed in her will. And so the seasons went. Then fell on Merlin a great melancholy. He walked with dreams and darkness, and he found a doom that ever poised itself to fall. An ever moaning battle in the mist, world war of dying flesh against the life, death in all life, and lying in all love, the meanest having power upon the highest and the high purpose broken by the worm. So leaving Arthur's court he gained the beach. There found a little boat, and stepped into it. And Vivian followed, but he marked her not. She took the helm, and he the sail. The boat drave with a sudden wind across the deeps, and touching Breton's sands they disembarked. And then she followed Merlin all the way, even to the wild woods of Broceliande, For Merlin once had told her of a charm, the which, if any wrought on any one, with woven paces and with waving arms, the man so wrought on ever seemed to lie closed in the four walls of a hollow tower, from which there was no escape, for evermore. And none could find that man, for evermore nor could he see but him who wrought the charm coming and going, and he lay as dead and lost to life and use and name and fame. And Vivian ever sought to work the charm upon the great enchanter of the time, as fancying that her glory would be great according to his greatness whom she quenched. There lay she all her length, and kissed his feet as if in deepest reverence and in love. A twist of gold was round her hair, a robe of Samite without price, that more expressed than hid her, clung about her lissom limbs, in colour like the satin-shining palm-on sallows and the windy gleams of March. And while she kissed them, crying, TRAMPLE ME, DEAR FEET, THAT I HAVE FOLLOWED THROUGH THE WORLD, AND I WILL PAY YOU WORSHIP Tread me down, and I will kiss you for it. He was mute. So dark a forethought rolled about his brain, as on a dull day, in an ocean cave, the blind wave feeling round his long sea-hall in silence. Wherefore, when she lifted up a face of sad appeal, and spake, and said, O Merlin, do ye love me? And again, O Merlin, do ye love me? And once more, great master, do you love me? He was mute. And lissome Vivian, holding by his heel, writhed toward him, sliding up his knee, and sat, behind his ankle twined her hollow feet together, curved an arm about his neck, clung like a snake, and letting her left hand droop from his mighty shoulder as a leaf, made with her right a comb of pearl to part the lists of such a beard as youth gone out had left in ashes. Then he spoke and said, not looking at her, Who are wise in love, love most, say least. And Vivian answered quick, I saw the little elf-god Eilis once, in Arthur's heiress hall at Camelot, but neither eyes nor tongue. Oh, stupid child! yet you are wise who say it let me think silence is wisdom i am silent then and ask no kiss then adding all at once and lo i clothe myself with wisdom drew the vast and shaggy mantle of his beard across her neck and bosom to her knee and called herself a gilded summer fly caught in a great old tyrant spider's web who meant to eat her up in that wild wood without one word. So Vivian called herself, but rather seemed a lovely baleful star veiled in grey vapour, till he sadly smiled. To what request, for what strange boon, he said, are these your pretty tricks and fooleries, O Vivian, the Preamble? Yet my thanks, for these have broken up my melancholy. And Vivian answered, smiling saucily, "'What, O oh, my master, have you found your voice? I bid the stranger welcome. Thanks at last. But yesterday you never opened lip, except indeed to drink. No cup had we. In mine own lady palms I culled the spring that gathered trickling dropwise from the cleft, and made a pretty cup of both my hands, and offered you it kneeling. Then you drank.' and knew no more, nor gave me one poor word. Oh, no more thanks than might a goat have given, with no more sign of reverence than a beard! And when we halted at that other well, and I was faint to swooning, and you lay foot-gilt with all the blossom dust of those deep meadows we had traversed, did you know that Vivian bathed your feet before her own? And yet no thanks! And all through this wild wood, and all this morning, when I fondled you. Boon! ay, there was a boon. One not so strange. How had I wronged you? Surely ye are wise, but such a silence is more wise than kind. And Merlin locked his hand in hers, and said, Oh, did ye never lie upon the shore, and watch the curled white of the coming wave glassed in the slippery sand before it breaks? Even such a wave, but not so pleasurable, dark in the glass of some presageful mood, had I for three days seen, ready to fall. And then I rose and fled from Arthur's court to break the mood. You followed me unasked. AND WHEN I LOOKED AND SAW YOU FOLLOWING ME STILL, MY MIND INVOLVED YOURSELF THE NEAREST THING IN THAT MIND MIST. FOR SHALL I TELL YOU TRUTH? YOU seem THAT WAVE ABOUT TO BREAK UPON ME, AND SWEEP ME FROM MY HOLD UPON THE WORLD, MY USE AND NAME AND FAME. YOUR PARDON, CHILD, YOUR PRETTY SPORTS HAVE BRIGHTENED ME ALL AGAIN. AND ASK YOUR BOON, FOR BOON I OWE YOU THRICE. ONCE FOR WRONG DONE YOU BY CONFUSION, NEXT FOR THANKS IT SEEMS TILL NOW NEGLECTED, LAST FOR THESE YOUR DAINTY GAMBLES, WHEREFORE ASK, AND TAKE THIS BOON SO STRANGE AND NOT SO STRANGE. And Vivian answered, smiling mournfully, Oh, not so strange as my long asking it, yet not so strange as you yourself are strange nor half so strange as that dark mood of yours i ever feared ye were not wholly mine and see yourself having owned ye did me wrong the people call you prophet. let it be but not of those that can expound themselves take vivian for expounder she will call that three days long presageful gloom of yours no presage or the same mistrustful mood that makes you seem less noble than yourself. Whenever I have asked this very boon, now asked again. For see you not, dear love, that such a mood as that which lately gloomed your fancy when you saw me following you, must make me fear still more that you are not mine, must make me yearn still more to prove you mine, and make me wish still more to learn this charm of woven paces and of waving hands as proof of trust o merlin teach it me the charm so taught will charm us both to rest for grant me some slight power upon your fate i feeling that you felt me worthy trust should rest and let you rest knowing you mine and therefore be as great as ye are named not muffled round with selfish reticence how hard you look, and how denyingly! Oh, if you think this wickedness in me, that I should prove it on you unawares, that makes me passing wrathful, then our bond had best be loosed for ever! But think or not, by heaven that hears, I tell you the clean truth, as clean as blood of babes, or white as milk! Oh, Merlin, may this earth, if ever I! if these unwitty wandering wits of mine, even in the jumbled rubbish of a dream, have tripped upon such conjectural treachery, may this hard earth cleave to the nadir hell, down, down, and close again, and nip me flat, if I be such a traitress. Yield my boon, to which I scarce can yield you all I am, and grant my reiterated wish the great proof of your love, because I think, however wise, ye hardly know me yet." And Merlin loosed his hand from hers, and said, "'I never was less wise, however wise, too curious Vivian, though you talk of trust, than when I told you first of such a charm. Yea, if ye talk of trust, I tell you this.' Too much I trusted when I told you that, and stirred this vice in you, which ruined man through woman the first hour, for howsoeer in children a great curiousness be well, who have to learn themselves, and all the world, in you that are no child, for still I find your face is practised when I spell the lines, I call it—well, I will not call it vice, But since you name yourself the summer-fly, I well could wish a cobweb for the gnat, that settles, beaten back, and beaten back, settles, till one could yield for weariness. But since I will not yield to give you power upon my life and use and name and fame, why will ye never ask some other boon? Yea, by God's rood, I trusted you too much." And Vivian, like the tenderest-hearted maid that ever bided tryst at village style, made answer, either eyelid wet with tears. Nay, master, be not wrathful with your maid. Caress her. Let her feel herself forgiven, who feels no heart to ask another boon. I think ye hardly know the tender rhyme of Trust me not at all, or all in all. I heard the great Sir Launcelot sing it once, and it shall answer for me. Listen to it. In love, if love be love, if love be ours, faith and unfaith can ne'er be equal powers. Unfaith and aught is want of faith in all. It is the little rift within the lute that by and by will make the music mute, and ever widening slowly silence all. THE LITTLE RIFT WITHIN THE LOVER'S lute, OR LITTLE PITTED SPECK IN GARNERED FRUIT, THAT ROTTING INWARD SLOWLY MOLDERS ALL. IT IS NOT WORTH THE KEEPING, LET IT GO. BUT SHALL IT? ANSWER, DARLING, ANSWER, NO. AND TRUST ME NOT AT ALL, OR ALL IN ALL. O MASTER, DO YOU LOVE MY TENDER RHYME? AND MERLIN LOOKED, AND HALF BELIEVED HER TRUE. SO TENDER WAS HER VOICE, SO FAIR HER FACE, SO SWEETLY GLEAMED HER EYES BEHIND HER TEARS LIKE SUNLIGHT ON THE plain BEHIND A SHOWER. AND YET HE ANSWERED HALF INDIGNANTLY. FAR OTHER WAS THE SONG THAT ONCE I HEARD BY THIS HUGE OAK, SUNG NEARLY WHERE WE SIT. FOR HERE WE MET, SOME TEN OR TWELVE OF US, TO CHASE A CREATURE THAT WAS CURRENT THEN IN THESE WILD WOODS. THE HEART WITH GOLDEN HORNS. IT WAS THE TIME WHEN FIRST THE QUESTION ROSE ABOUT THE FOUNDING OF A TABLE ROUND, THAT WAS TO BE, FOR LOVE OF GOD AND MEN AND NOBLE DEEDS, THE FLOWER OF ALL THE WORLD. AND EACH incited EACH TO NOBLE DEEDS. AND WHILE WE WAITED, ONE, THE YOUNGEST OF US, WE COULD NOT KEEP HIM SILENT. OUT HE FLASHED, AND INTO SUCH A SONG such fire for fame, such trumpet-glowings in it, coming down to such a stern and iron-clashing close, that when he stopped we longed to hurl together, and should have done it, but the beauteous beast, scared by the noise, upstarted at our feet, and like a silver shadow slipped away through the dim land. And all day long we rode through the dim land against a rushing wind, that glorious roundel echoing in our ears, and chased the flashes of his golden horns till they vanished by the fairy well that laughs at iron, as our warriors did, where children cast their pins and nails, and cry, Laugh, little well, but touch it with a sword. It buzzes fiercely round the point, and there we lost him. Such a noble song was that! But Vivian! When you sang me that sweet rhyme, I felt as though you knew this cursed charm, were proving it on me, and that I lay and felt them slowly ebbing, name and fame. And Vivian answered, smiling mournfully, O oh, mine have ebbed away for evermore, and all through following you to this wild wood, because I saw you sad, to comfort you. Lo, now! what hearts have men they never mount as high as woman in her selfless mood and touching fame howe'er ye scorn my song take one verse more the lady speaks it this my name once mine now thine is closelier mine for fame could fame be mine that fame were thine and shame could shame be thine that shame were mine so trust me not at all or all in all says she not well and there is more this rhyme is like the fair pearl necklace of the queen that burst in dancing and the pearls were spilt some lost some stolen some as relics kept but nevermore the same two sister pearls ran down the silken thread to kiss each other on her white neck. So is it with this rhyme. It lives dispersedly in many hands, and every minstrel sings it differently. Yet there is one true line, the pearl of pearls. Man dreams of fame, while woman wakes to love. Yea, love, though love were of the grossest, carves a portion from the solid present, eats and uses. Careless of the rest, but fame—the fame that follows death—is nothing to us. And what is fame in life but half disfame, and counterchanged with darkness? Ye yourself know well that envy calls you devil's son, and since ye seem the master of all art, they fain would make you master of all vice. End of part one.